Welcome to Talos Takes, the security podcast for everyone from the C-suite to the front lines. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Talos Takes. Today, I have two guests on for a special episode. I have Gurgana from Talos Incident Response and Thorsten from our strategic communications team. Good morning, guys. Thanks for coming on. Morning, morning. John. So today we're going to be talking about NIST-2 or NIS-2. I'm not 100% sure which one it is, to be honest. But this is something that you guys wrote about for Talos blog a while ago by the, by the time this episode will be coming out. So I will certainly be linking to both blog posts in the show notes so that folks can always read up more on this if they want to. Basically, NIST-2 is this set of regulations regarding cybersecurity and data security and the European Union. So I kind of just want to start out by asking you guys to give me an even shorter version than what you put in the blog post, because the blog post was a great explainer for somebody who might be brand new to the subject. But what can we can we kind of distill that down even a little bit more? A little, maybe a little. Um, the, the paper itself is like, I don't know, some between 40 and 80 pages long. Um, so <laughs> it, it, it is impossible to distill that down to a five words version, right? I, I think... From, from a very high level, we need to explain two things separately here. One, what is a directive for, for non-Europeans? And number two, what is NIS2 or NIS2? I, I'm not sure either. Let me prelude with a statement that I, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a politician, okay? But, but, but through my eyes, a directive is a legislative act that sets out a goal that EU counties must achieve. I love that thing. The difference to a regulation, though, is that it is up to the individual counties to devise their own laws. I hope that makes sense to you. It is, it is an important point because you might face some different nuances for different counties when it comes to very specific regulations at the end of the day. So that was number one. What is directive? Number two, what is NIS2? That is simple. The goal of NIS2 is to improve resiliency of network information systems across the union against cybersecurity risks. That is what it's all about. Yeah, so the reason we're talking about this now is because organizations will actually have to start adhering to these guidelines come October. So, you know, thankfully, if you're listening to this and you're like, wait, what's this all about? Uh, you still have some time to address some of those issues. So I want to ask, you know, like, there's a few hypotheticals that we could get into because it's going to be different for every organization and, and their size. But if you're, say, like a mid-sized business without a CISO or, and this concept is totally new to you, what would be like the best place to start to make sure that your policies and procedures are current? So just a little comment on the timeline. It's actually a tiny bit more relaxed in, by October. And the national countries, so let's say Germany, France, they need to all have their own national law, which fulfills the requirements by the directive, what Arsene just explained. And then from January 2025, so a few months later, and to be very honest, I expect that we'll have probably a month or two of grace period where the organizations can adjust the requirements. But still, that's quite soon. And to answer your question, it really depends on when exactly the wait what uh, moment comes to the organizations, because if it's somewhere around now, they still have time until January to do kind of a structured approach to setting up their policies and procedures. What do I mean with structured, structured approach? Um, they'll have time to review their 
information security policy, ensure that they have a new state response plan, which builds upon the information in the policy and create a few topic specific playbooks like a ransomware case, email compromise, etc. So this would be the um, um, top down, uh, the bottom up approach. Yet, if the wait what moment comes somewhere in the fall, just around the corner from the from January, then the organizations would need to be faster in their actions. And then I would really recommend that they take a very critical look at their business assets, identify the essential ones, and go right into testing their readiness to respond to an incident affecting those assets. To give a, an example, if they identify their domain controllers and the customer database as critical assets, well, they might, an organization can design an exercise to test how they're going to respond. A big part of this tool is incident response, which is what your guys' second blog covered. So what's some, someone should be looking for in terms of like a base IR plan so that they can best align with NIST 2. Obviously, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the fact that Talos Incident Response has a service uh, where, you know, we will help you with that and walk you through every step of the way of creating one from the ground up. But what sort of things are important to keep in mind when you are creating one, especially if it's your first time? Let's first define what is the role of an Incident Response Plan. But in the bigger picture of Incident Response documentation, this is the foundational document which outlines information which is relevant for all incidents and is something which is summarizing key facts about your team, about the technology you have and your procedures. So if I have to mention a few topics which must be in every good incident response plan, this would be who is your incident response personnel, a roster of the people that can be contacted. What is their technical expertise and their expertise in terms of crisis management? What escalation processes do you have? How do they work on a weekend when not everybody is there? But also some more general topics such as what is the instant response process that you're following in your organizations? We have the science, we have the NIST, there, there might be a custom version. What phases do you have and what are the different sources of data you have that your responders could be using, let's say to arrive at IUCs or to do containment. So this, are, this is the first area you need to have a solid coverage of all of those topics in a good incident response plan. The second topic is structure. You need a logically organized document because normally an incident response plan would be used during an incident or, in an ideal case, read by the new team members at the beginning of their onboarding. In both cases, you need to have a very easy to navigate structure, which without much scrolling through the document, you can find the information that you need. So what are some other things that we haven't talked about yet that really stand out to you guys in this too? Uh, maybe you could just like each pick one thing that's just something that maybe not very many organizations are thinking about already or may come as like a surprise to people if they're looking at it for the first time. Um, I would like to pick up what the topic of incident disclosure and actually the timeline that is required. Starting from a bit further away, the, the SEC, the Stock Exchange Commission in the U.S., has a requirement for incident disclosure, which is uh, within four days of establishing that the incident is material. And we already know that organizations are suffering with this, um, are having a hard time with this um, timeline because it's very short. Well, good news, NISTU has an even shorter uh, deadline. So within 72 hours, which is three days, 
you need to provide first list of incident uh, IOCs, uh, what data has been affected, the supposed impact, and your investigation steps. So that is a very short timeline. Um, I hope that organizations realize that this timeline can fall on a weekend, which would make it even harder to meet this deadline. Foster, what about for you? Is there anything? You said I can just pick one, but I have actually a dozen, a dozen things. Um, <laughs> many people, including myself, have, have kind of a reflex to, to, to think like, oh, another policy, another overhead, boring, whatever negative type of, of emotions. But if I might change the topic slightly, if, if you look at our year in review report and you look at the top initial access vectors we saw, we had exploiting vulnerabilities in public-facing applications, compromised accounts, and unknown for the initial access vector, right? You find all of these being addressed in the NIS2 paper. That tells me it, the paper is good and it's not just a dead piece of paper, but, but, but it's worth reading it. And it, it also does a very good job, in my point of view, of creating a bridge between people which are very deep into cybersecurity on, on one end, but also the, the, the guys with the money on, on the other side, right? Another thing we didn't touch up on yet is supply chain security. You will find the phrase supply chain mentioned like 20 times in the document, and it's something we really need to do a better job of in the European Union as a whole, right? The second one, I just took one for now, right? The second one is... Um, Talking about Germany, because that is the numbers I know better than for the entire union, there will be kind of a surprise coming for the entities in scope. Um, if you if you look at NIS one, the first version, um, some people said uh, entities in scope were like three k or five k companies in Germany. Now we are talking between twenty k and fifty k companies being in scope of that document. So many many people will have to deal with NIS2, whether they want or not. But I do not want to end with a negative one here. It is a super positive thing that we get transparency and visibility broadened beyond the cybersecurity professionals. So I want to close out by asking you, Gurgana, specifically about the ways in which Talos IR can help organizations and companies prepare for these changes. Uh, obviously, I, I already mentioned the incident response plan, creation service, Al, but what are some other different services that your team offers? You're absolutely right. We have quite a few different services and which one really fits to an organization depends on where they stand in their cybersecurity journey. So for some very mature organizations, some of the simulation services, such as a purple team, uh, could be really a good fit in order to put to a test both their tools, their um, people and their processes. Um, so that's one I would recommend a lot. Um, definitely a tabletop exercise, which is a simulation exercise, gathering the, the members and the team around the virtual table and going through the motions of a cybersecurity incident and seeing how everyone would respond uh, without having the technical attack, but still getting the pose of everyone up. Uh, this is also a very good way to see how ready you are. And the last service I would like to highlight is actually and the local architecture assessment. It is a great service, which is both for relatively mature organizations and for the ones that are just starting. And as an instant responder, I cannot underscore enough how important logs are. Without logs, we are blind in the case of an incident. So this is the service which will help you find out what are my gaps in my logging visibility. And 
some of the customers who have a theme that they would uh, like to optimize, we can help them with that. Some would be thinking about setting up one, and then we can help them identify the logs with the right level of detail to inject. So there's something for everyone. The main point is start early because in my experience, us organizations have multiple projects going on. They need uh, months in order to um, go through such an assessment or to create a simple plan and time is already taken away. All right. So before I let you guys go, I uh, just kind of wanted to close out with any other, just as they say on Beers with Talos, any uh, closing thoughts or parting shots that you guys have uh, about this that we haven't covered already? There's one we we didn't touch in in the blog post and, and we didn't talk about it here um, because target audience is, is much smaller. Um, but another good thing about NIS2 is that they also talk a lot about and enforce a lot about uh, collaboration between counties, uh, C-certs and, and stuff like that in the paper. We all need to do a better job in sharing information on, on the good side of the house. The, the bad guys already know how to do that and, and we all globally need to improve on that. And that is also written in the paper and I, I pretty much like that. I fully agree with Thorsten's comment and I would reiterate what I mentioned. Start early. You need time in order to implement good security controls. All right, awesome. Well, thank you guys very much for helping me unpack this. I know that was a, kind of a lot to cover here and we ended up getting it in over 20 minutes. Uh, I know that was a lot to cover and it, like you guys said, it's a huge document to to parse through even so i appreciate you guys helping me break it down quickly welcome sir anytime thank you for the invitation